Hey guys, just wanted to give you an update on the Mission Whitetail podcast. Kevin Ackham will no longer be our co-host. We wish him all the best in his next endeavor. I'm going to be taking over the full hosting responsibilities, and we're looking forward to continuing bringing some really good podcasts down the line. We may have another co-host at another time or some guy that joins us from time to time. But right now, it's just going to be me, and we're really looking forward to a great season. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, welcome back. Mission Whitetail. Uh, we're going to be doing something a little bit different this go-round. we got Adam Hayes back with us. He was on two in the first year, and we're actually going to do a three-part series. So we're going to get Adam Hayes overload. As, as <laughs> <laughs> uh, so y'all will be tired of Adam Hayes after the next month and a half. But when you get an opportunity to talk to guys that have been as successful as Adam has over the years and doing it truly how if anybody put in, well, I don't know that that's the best way to say it, but anybody, people can do what you do. You, you don't own 5,000 acres in Iowa. Um, you know, you, you've got properties that, that most guys that are serious about it, if they put in enough work, can, can get into those type properties. Would you, is that fair to say? Yeah, I've never owned my own property that I could actually hunt until the last couple of years. So, yeah. So, well, I, I mean, the, the, the point here is, is guys that are, you know, looking to expand their, their travel, expand, you know, thinking that getting a lease or getting out of state and going to hunt is impossible to obtain. It's not, it, it's very obtainable. Uh, and, and, you know, Adam, you know, we talked off screen a little bit about this, but you're going to kind of take us through your world. And I talk enough as it is, we're going to, you know, turn kind of the microphone, if you will, over to you. And just access is, is something that I know you hear and I hear almost daily. You know, how do you get access? Where does that start? How do you do that sort of thing? So if you don't mind, man, take us through kind of what you hunt, how you have access and, and what your yearly schedule is, kind of how you go through getting new properties, the properties you have. And then once we go through that, maybe then we'll talk about how you set each one of them up and, and that sort of thing. What yeah. do you think about that? I'm not sure I can remember all that, but. Oh, don't worry. I'll, I've, I've got questions, old boy. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back with you in, in a hurry. So don't worry. I can about get it that. started. Yeah. Yeah. So. Obviously, born and raised in Ohio, so I've been fortunate that um been able to grow up in a great state for killing big deer and actually living in Licking County, Ohio, which I believe is still the number one county in Ohio for Boone and Crockett Bucks. But um I'd heard at one time Ohio was the only state that had registered Boone and Crockett deer from every county, so it's tough to find a bad place in Ohio. Not that there's giant deer on every farm, but you know, Ohio is about as good as it gets. I mean, 
I'm sure there's places where you can find the numbers, you know, better numbers than Ohio has. But as far as quality goes, I don't think anybody's any better than Ohio. So obviously, I, you know, Ohio is kind of like my yeah, my go-to every year, obviously. And for the last 20 years now, I've really been focusing here at home and in Illinois and Kansas. You know, I've met, um, met you and, and, Chris Seymour and some of the guys that are that were involved with Team 200 and you know Dominant Bucks back in the day and Whitetail Addictions before that with Lone Wolf and been fortunate enough to maintain a good relationship with Chris for 20 years and I've been going pretty much the same same area not the same farm but I think Chris is probably up to what do you say six or seven thousand acres he manages now. Yep. Yeah, seven thousand yeah. acres. Yeah. yeah, he and he doesn't overhunt his stuff, and I don't go to the same farms every year. But you know, being able to go back to you know same general area for that long, you know, you get to know the area, know where you want to be, and that sort of thing. And it's it's kind of nice though that you know every few years I end up going to a new spot and learning a new area. And the spot I hunted last year was the first time I'd ever been there, which um, it was kind of a kind of a bust for me because we had big deer in there early and they did they left and they didn't show up until after season. So got some work to do there. Yeah, but, uh, that's kind of been the that's kind of been the plan in Kansas. You know, just going back to that same area and Chris runs a lot of cameras. You know, he knows where you know the deer are at. At least he knows what deer are on what farms. Let's put it that way. All right, let's let's dissect that for a minute because guys are, you know, some guys are going to know who Chris is and some guys aren't. So Chris Seymour is a buddy of mine and Adam's. Adam introduced me to him, what, 10, 12 years ago, probably, if not longer. And Chris was an outfitter or or still is an outfitter, I Mm -hmm. guess. I I don't know that he actively pursues guys to come and hunt with him. He's got a kind of a client base. Um of, of truly guys that you and I have kind of put together over the years. Um, and, and he has 7,000 acres. And so, so that is, you know, number one is to find, and and I will say I have hunted with a lot of outfitters over the years and it is deathly scary how burnt you can get hunting with outfitters. I mean, it, to, to the point that there's one or two, especially in the whitetail space, that that w- would be recommended or somebody that that we would consider hunting with. Chris Seymour is one of those guys. So there is the ability to find an outfitter out of state that has good ground that you can get into, and he will have the farm, he will run some cameras, and he will turn you loose. So, yeah, that's that's why I like hunting with you know, Chris and why I've had, um, or why I've enjoyed it for so long is because he gives you access to the property. He does try to maintain some kind of inventory on those properties through trail cameras, but you're pretty much on your own after that for scouting, setting your stands and hunting. I mean, he's not going to tell you, you know, you need to be in this stand at five o'clock and this is the deer that's going to show up. I mean, you're pretty much on your own. You got access to the property and somewhat of a general idea of what, you know, what could possibly show up as far as inventory goes. Yeah. And, and that's right. So the, 
you kind of have the best of, of both worlds there and it's a unique situation. You know, Chris and I have leased some farms together. We actually own a really small farm right now together. So he's just a, a great relationship that we've built over the years. And a lot of it, when you're traveling out of state goes back to relationships, right? I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that, that's the, the main thing. So that, that, I guess I'm not gonna put words in your mouth, but Adam Hayes, you know, Kansas, a lifelong friend, uh, that is an outfitter that has 7,000 acres of property and you have access to basically all of that property, or you, you can hunt different farms throughout what he has. So that that would be a key for, for a guy looking to go out of state. Fair to say. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Now let's, think, let's go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say in the last 20 years, I think I've hunted, you know, just about every farm he's got. I don't think he has any properties that I really haven't hunted. Maybe some of this newer, smaller stuff. All right. Let's go back home for a minute. All right. You've hunted, like you said, to begin with Ohio forever. You know, that's your, that's your stomping grounds. What is your situation there now? Like, what, what do you have? I, I mean, you've got your home farm that talk to us a little bit about that, how it's kind of set up and then what else you'll be looking at and hunting in Ohio this year. Yeah, so my own farm, um, it's a small piece, you know, I'm not able to afford a giant, you know, farm like I'd like to. So I think I got the next best thing where I've got a, you know, kind of a sanctuary that I butt up next to, which I can pull deer off of. And, you know, my backyard's basically a food plot and um, limited pressure around me. And, um, you know, this is my third year owning the farm. I haven't killed a deer here yet, but starting to see some good age structure so got high hopes this year and then i've kept a lease down south that you know the one that you hunted this past year that's had some you know mega giants on it historically and um, they're in the process of, of going from an old crp program to a new one so they're you know uh burning and and replanning stuff and kind of a transition period right now down there but it's a couple hundred acres of crp along a river that just you know like i said over the last decade i've had some giant deer either living on that farm or coming through so that's kind of you know my my in my back pocket if something doesn't pan out here at home so that's kind of my two options here in ohio and then you do, I mean, we, we talked a little bit last year because that, that property, um, you know, I, I did go in there and hunt, I guess the first seven or eight days in November, but you, you were at home looking around, poking around. You also do some, you know, you hear about a big deer, um, around home and then you, you try and go get permission to get in and hunt him in some of these, uh, what do you call them, Metro parks or, or that, that butt up to those and that. That used to be kind of your your recipe for success, right? Yeah, I killed a lot of my big deer early in my career around some of the metro parks in and around central Ohio and Columbus, which, you know, most of that stuff's been developed, you know, bought up by developers um, and obviously can't hunt it anymore. But, you know, it's that urban stuff is getting to be really tough these days because there's not much of it left and any of the good stuff, you know, has either been bought or leased up. So that, uh, that kind of stuff's kind of run its course. Yeah. But yeah, I'm always, 
got my ears open listening for a big buck sighting and I try to follow up on every lead I ever get about a big deer because you just never know when it might pan out. Yeah. All right, so that takes care of home. Now let's shift to Illinois because it's Ohio, Kansas, Illinois, and that's kind of your 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 focus and where, where you try and stay, I guess, committed. Yeah, Illinois is kind of kind of the same deal as Kansas, other than it's it's not owned by an outfitter. You know, I went over there twenty some years ago for the first time back when we were filming uh, skyline camouflage hunting the horizon. That's really dating myself there that <laughs> how long ago that was but we filmed a show out there and i struck up a friendship with farmer and he's become one of my best friends in the world um he farms a few thousand acres and um me and him are about me and his son are the only about the only ones that hunt it um we are surrounded by outfitters out there so it's tough to get a deer past you know four years old but over the years had some really good deer out there to chase. You know, I had, I, I could have killed my uh, fifth 200 inch deer over there. I think three or four years ago was chasing a 230 inch giant that had him at 10 yards one day <clears throat> and couldn't get it around the tree to get a shot at him. Um, I killed a 187 over there a couple of years ago was chasing, you know, a couple one nineties, uh, last year. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a great area, you know, river bottom farm ground, you know, corn everywhere, corn and soybeans, just it's, you know, whitetail heaven out there. And, you know, I've been lucky, like I said, to have a good friendship with those guys out there and, um, limited access on the farms that I hunt. Like I said, even though we're surrounded by the outfitters, but it's been, um, that's been a pretty interesting process out there for the 20 years because it's on a much bigger scale than what I'm used to at home. You know, I'm used to hunting these little tiny woodlots at home and flat farm ground and more fence lines and CRP. And that's more big timber out there. So I kind of struggled with that at first, but I feel like I'm getting kind of dialed in with um, how to hunt it. You know, after 20 years, you know, I've figured some stuff out out there, but I'm still learning you know, we really got dialed in with the food plots, um, managing, you know, the properties. I spent a week over there this winter clearing some stuff out for more food plots. I spent a couple of days on a backhoe cleaning out old logging roads to be able to access, you know, the farms better from, from one side to the next. Um, so it's been neat to be able to have access and to hunt properties that big that I don't actually own and still be able to treat it like I own it, you know, yeah. to improve it, work on the habitat management. I know you had Bobby Worthington on, on the podcast here recently. And I, I just met Bobby this winter for the first time. I'd read all this stuff and um, spent some time with him at a trade show. And I picked up some stuff from him on hunting big woods deer. I mean, it's kind of funny, you know, he's really successful with what he does. And it was crazy how what he does is just the polar opposite of what I do. I mean, you couldn't be any different, but he's figured out a way to be really successful with what he does in his area, just like I have. And I mean, you're just, you're never too old to learn, you know, learn stuff about these deer. You know, learning new tactics, learning secrets about, um, you know, hunting big deer. You just, you can never stop learning. 
Yeah, from Bobby. I I really, I talked to him about it. Hopefully, I'm going to be able to get him out to Illinois next winter and walk some properties with me. Yeah, so he's expecting us in June. We we got a. I know you got bear coming up um, here shortly, but but when you get home and get things settled in June, we're going to pick some dates and uh, just go up there and stay for a couple days. He said there's some cabins on uh, on a lake up there. We get a little cabin and hang out with him. He's got 3,000 acres, and it's all big woods yep. um, that, that he's going to – he said he's going to fatten us up. So, he, he's a good guy, and and, and you're right, man. He, he, um, he's he got his recipe for success, and, and <clears throat> stacking the deck in his his system is, is a cool system. Um, but everybody doesn't have a rut funnel, right? You know, s- some guys have got access to bean fields early season, and that's all they have. Um, some guys have got on, only the only time they get deer is late season. So you've got to have, you know, all the, all the tricks, right. Or you got to try to be well-rounded at all parts of the season, not just the October 25th to November, November 25th. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the tips and tricks that you pick up from different guys and, and checking your ego, we talk about that a lot, you know, it, ask questions, man. Everybody doesn't know everything. Um, ah, and you can never stop learning, man. A, a wise man once said, wisdom is an endless pursuit. You know, you, you can never think, you know, it all, you know, I, I, like I said, this, I'm 56. This is my 43rd hunting season. And, you know, I was learning stuff this year from, from Bobby about, you know, hunting big woods, you know, more people that you meet in the industry, more successful people that you meet, uh, more opportunity you have to pick up another little piece of the puzzle, man. That's it. Without a doubt. So back to your properties, less, less, you know, obviously Illinois, October 1st opener, Ohio, September opener, Kansas, September opener. What let's talk about how you set things up. What, what your, your, your plan is like, I'm, I'm assuming Again, putting words in your mouth, you are thinking about some deer, either in Kansas, Illinois, or at home, that hopefully are still alive at this point, and you are putting a plan together now for how you're going to attack the season, how you're going to set up the different properties. Um, walk us, walk us through that, if you will, kind of how, how you're setting things up and how you're getting planned for the season. Well, you know, as well as I do, man, when it comes to trying to plan that stuff months or a year in advance, it's a strategic nightmare. Yeah. You know, it really is. You never know what's going to happen. I thought I had the greatest game plan going into season last year. And I mean, anything that could go wrong did go wrong, you know, deer disappearing on me. Um, it just, I just felt like I couldn't catch a break all season. And I didn't until, you know, the two minute warning and uh you know january 13th i finally drew back on a good buck so i mean it's tough but i mean it's not like that every year right you know i depend a lot on cameras to let me know not only what deer are on the properties that i'm hunting but um you know when i'm actually going to be hunting them um as far as early season goes you know, you, you know, you know what deer are going to be doing early season. You know, they're going to be in the beans, you know, in the food sources, kind of doing their 
thing until they, you know, vanish and head back to their core areas and start getting reclusive. So, you know, I kind of plan my season, you know, accordingly to what's going on, you know, for that time of the year, but really the cameras really dictate, you know, what's going on at the time and when I'm going to go there. So, you know, I might, I might say I'm planning on going to, you know, uh, Canada in early September and then Kansas for the opener because it opens up before Ohio and Illinois. And then kind of, you know, depending on if I got something really good at home showing up or in Illinois might determine which of those two places that I hunt, you know, end of September, early October. So early season, it helps with the states that I hunt. And that's kind of why I've stuck with that plan is because they're kind of spaced out. Yeah. You know, cause you've only got so much time to hunt and only so much, um, what I would consider, you know, optimum time for, for planning a, you know, a hunt, hunt hundreds or thousand miles from home. So I've got them kind of spaced out for those openers. And then I'll just kind of go from there with, um, you know, what the cameras are telling me and what's on the farm. And, you know, anytime you got a big deer showing up in daylight, I mean, you've got to be able to take advantage of that and get aggressive and jump in there. And there's really no way to be, be prepared for that. Um, unless you're running cellular cameras. I mean, I really probably depend on those to a fault, but I mean, how else can you, you know, monitor, you know, three or four states, you know, especially that far from home without using cellular cameras. You, you know, I don't have the money to hire somebody to watch deer for me. So right. The best thing is the cell cameras. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that is definitely something that you know we we rely on absolutely heavily um and and then you know we i guess you kind of get out of out of the early season if you will and you get into the rut and that's when if you have that deer it doesn't matter if it's alberta if it's kansas if it's illinois it it's at home whatever it is that is the lockdown time when you go to that spot and hunt that deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am. Um, I guess if I had my choice, I would prefer hunting, you know, early September hunting, you know, early to late October, as opposed to November. Cause you know, my strategy all has always really revolved around hunting a specific deer when they're really predictable and patternable. And most of that you can throw out the window in November, you know, I mean, I know there's probably more big deer killed in November than any time of the year, but I would bet you, if you looked at the numbers of how many of those deer were killed because the guy was hunting that specific animal, as opposed to just being in the woods and catching a big deer coming by, you know, I would think that most of your guys killing big deer in November are not hunting that specific animal for the majority, you know, for the most part. Yeah. You know, Bobby and I were in Kentucky looking at a property and it's got a unbelievable long range funnel. And, and what, what is meant by that is, you know, you, you're going to have deer that you have pictures of, but, through that long range funnel that connects those big woodlots for, for miles a- along a river, there's no telling what may come through. Yep. 
I mean, a, a deer, and, and he was very adamant about that. You know, the buck that you're after, it may be one, you know, from from four miles away that comes through here that's bigger that you've never seen. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it does definitely get tougher. Tougher is not the right word. I guess it gets tougher to kill the deer that you're, if you're after a particular deer after about the 7th of November. Yeah. And for me, that's really what it's all about. I mean, I, I just enjoy, you know, finding a specific animal, trying to figure that buck out and trying to kill that deer. And I would rather do that and take my chances in that scenario than, you know, just go out in a stand in November in an area, just hoping, you know, a big deer strolls by and I kill him. I just, that's, that's just not what it's about for me anymore. I just really enjoy that chase, you know, and that specific animal and playing the game with a, you know, a deer that you know intimately and trying to beat him at his own game. So are you, are, are you really a bad guy? Like you're trying to find the beds. I mean, is that a big thing? Or are you just trying to find, well, I mean, we're, we're kind of derailing the, the conversation a little bit, but heck I, I want to ask it and we'll, we'll let it go, go where it takes us. Um, I think it's very important to know um, where a deer beds. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge piece to the puzzle, you know, being able to find a deer's, you know, core area or safe spot, you know, where, where he spends the majority of his time. That's huge. You know, I know, um, you know, Andre has always been a big advocate of hunting a deer's bed. I actually don't, I won't hunt a deer's bedroom and, until it's the last resort. Because I don't want that deer to know he's being hunted. And I think you've got, you know, one, maybe two opportunities to dive into a <clears throat> buck's bedroom before he knows what's going on, you know, and tipping him off. So I kind of use that as more of a last resort. And um, not to say, though, like I said, it's it's very important to know where he's at. I mean, I want to know where that deer is at when I'm going into the woods, you know, in the afternoons. Yeah. You know, not to not to jump them. And a lot of my strategy revolves around being close, you know, to those to those uh, bedding areas, because when deer are on a big bucks are on a strict feeding pattern early and late before, you know, the ruts influencing their activity, they're not moving a whole lot. So, I mean, you've got to be you got to be right on top of them pretty much. And it's a fine line between being close enough that you can kill them and far enough away that you're not bumping them. Yeah. And that's the strategy, right? It, and, and you, you know, guys that are just getting new to this or just getting into it, you're, you're going to screw up and you're going to blow them out. Um, and, and that's just a, that's actually a feathering. That's a win. You know, I mean, I mean, you, you lost that, but boy, you learned for the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very important piece of the puzzle knowing where a big buck beds. Absolutely. So it's funny you said you mentioned Andre. I I did a post the other day about buck beds because I, I mean, it's always been a hot topic. But it seems like on social media you you got guys out every weekend right now finding these buck beds, finding these buck beds. And you know I was talking about how depending on food and depending on what time of year it is, they're going to bed in different places. And so you find a bed in April. The chances of that being the same bed in September are not very good. That's um, right. And and I made a post about that. It's just just think about the why when you find a bed. You know, think about why the deer's bedding there. And Andre was one of the first guys to comment and said, if you know where a big deer is bedded, that's ninety percent of the game. 
find his bed, find where he's bedded. And, and, you know, if you're after that particular buck, that's the key to the puzzle. Yeah. And we're just coming off the, you know, best time of the year to find those buck beds, you know, late season is a great time to get out and scout and look for them. And, you know, I've always kind of, you know, focused on bucks core areas and finding them, like I said, so I know where they're going to be in early season because if you think about it, it's not rocket science. You know, if you think about October, you know, what's a big buck doing? He's he shed his velvet a few weeks ago. He's going to be making rubs, and a big mature buck's going to be making really big rubs. But they're going to be rubbing a lot, and they're going to be in a in a safe area, which is usually some thick cover. So, I mean, you're looking for thick cover. Um, you're looking for concentrations of rubs. And I, I believe the bigger, the better, you know, and those kind of things are really easy to find, you know, January, February, March, April, you know, it's starting to green up a little bit, but great time to get out in the woods and look for those bedded areas and core areas. And that's the first thing I'm looking for. I'm looking for concentrations of rubs, the bigger, the better, you know, in and around thick cover, or maybe it might be, you know, a ridge line some kind of security cover, you know, yeah. where you're going to catch, you know, a big deer um, bedding. All right. Let's get back on the farms and, and the access. And let's, let's talk about anything you do in particular, setting up your, your farms, you know, starting with say your home farm uh, with how it lays out. And then let's get into Illinois. I mean, Seymour's, you know, we can talk a little bit about that, but I don't think we do much manipulation out there. Um, but but is there anything that you do? I know you just went and did some food plot and some backhoe work and that sort of thing. Um, but anything you can give the guys that that is something you do particular on the places you have access to? I'm beginning to realize that, you know, the most important thing early season is, is food. So, you know, whether it's soybeans, whether it's corn, whether it's, you know, food plots, you know, there's, there's 20 different things that you could plant, you know, for your early season food sources. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create areas close to where these bucks core areas are, where they're going to be bedding in October where I can give them multiple things, you know, multiple choices. You know, I'm a really big believer in in the clover, you know, and I'm a big believer in imperial clover. I like to have that clover close to them. I like to have, you know, my alfalfa mixed in there. I like to have soybeans that are still green. You know, I plant my soybeans late to make sure they're still green for early season. Um, there's a few states, mine included, like Ohio, where you can plant corn and you can strategically mow that stuff, you know, in a specific area. And you kind of kind of setting the trap and thinking about, okay, so if if he lives here and I know this is his travel pattern, he normally shows up here, what can I plant right there that's going to be a prime food source for him? exactly what he wants and maybe even three or four different types of his favorite food sources right there i want that deer to have everything you could possibly want as far as food goes right where he's normally moving at that time of the year you know so i'm planting beans i'm planting corn 
clover, alfalfa. Um, there's some there's some um, spots where I'm planning on mowing the corn and then having you know already kind of a double crop scenario where you've got some green coming up in the corn like oats, which are really good, you know, early season when that stuff just starts coming up. Um, rye, different, some different grains. But the big thing for me, like I said, is having, trying to have as many different things kind of peaking at that time of the year, as far as a food source goes. So no matter what that buck wants, you know, I've got three or four different options for him right there in his travel pattern and kind of setting the stage for that early season, you know, based on the, based on the food sources. And, and Adam, you'll, you'll, you want to kill that deer as quickly as possible. Um, but, but a lot of times th those bigger deer, even, even when the season comes in early have, have, you know, because correct me if I'm wrong, but Ohio's like the second Saturday in September. Is that right? Last Saturday of September. Last Saturday in September. So a lot of times velvet's gone. They're already making a move. So you, you may still, you know, have an opportunity there, you know, on that early summer feeding pattern. But but it could still be October 25th, 28th, when he's starting to feel a little bit, you know, ruddy that he comes. He's still on that pattern. But the problem you run into is that he, he might not be coming to that food source until after dark. Very possible. Yep, very possible. That's why I want those food sources to be as close to his, you know, core area or bedding area as possible. I mean, so that wanna... that would be, you know, that that's that's really a, a Don Higgins strategy. You know, that that's his, that that's kind of his his thing is as well as a lot of food, a lot of different food, um, having a a sanctuary, if you will, um, bedding area or knowing where that is, um, and then you know, killing them in between the two on the yep. way, on the way to, you know, so you can get in and out without really exposing uh, what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, you can build the perfect mouse trap, you know, and have exactly what they want, you know, there to feed, but if he's not coming there before dark, you know, you're, you're out of the game. And I think there's a couple of things, uh, you know, a couple steps beyond just planning that stuff that you've got to think about. And the big one is wind direction, you know, you know, if you know where a buck beds and you know where he's going to be going to feed, you know what wind direction he's going to need to feel safe enough to get up before dark to head to that food source. You know, so you need to be thinking about that ahead of the game, too. You know, you need to be thinking about what what what's the wind direction going to be doing? What wind is he going to need blowing in his face so if he, he feels comfortable enough to get up before dark to head that way? And where can you set up? along that travel pattern where you can be within bow range of him while he's using the wind to his advantage. You know, if you have a, if you have a predominantly Southwest wind in your area and you're expecting a deer to come to your food plot, you know, with the wind at his back, you know, it's not going to probably not going to happen. You know, right. you need to be thinking about that stuff. You know, I, I've seen this happen so many times where guys, set food plots up in areas that they, they can't even hunt because of the wind, you know, you know, you, you gotta be looking at, you know, where's the best tree in this area that I can hunt out of. And can I, how do I, how can I manipulate this area with the wind that this deer is going to need? I mean, it's, there's so many things that go into it 
well beyond just having what these deer need. Cause like you said, he's not coming there before dark. You're not going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, right. So yeah. what, what series of events is it going to take for that deer to get up and move in daylight to come to that food source and how can you take advantage of it? Yeah. And, and that, you know, I think that's going to segue us right into something you and I were talking about off air and, and that's going to be our episode two with you, but we can go ahead and kind of tee that up. Let, let's, you know, the, the other, the other factors, you know, the wind, um, you know, when you're setting up these food plots, you know, I, I'm not going to beat this up too bad, but, you know, guys talk about, you know, Hey, this is a great spot to put a food plot in, but you, you got to think about that and how he's going to get there. Exactly what you just said, um, for, for the wind, but then the moon, you know, we, we, we talked about this a little bit off air and that's going to be our, our whole next segment is on the moon and the deer hunters moon guide and everything behind that. But not only should guys be looking at, um, the moon for, for planning out of state hunts, but, but also, um, you know, when to hunt those, those traps, those mouse traps that they have set up. Yeah. Yeah, because there's multiple factors, you know, that's going to make a big buck get up and move early, you know, whether it's the moon, whether it's the weather, whether it's the wind, you know, all those factors, you know, can get deer up to move a little bit early, you know. I think really the key to it is when you can combine multiple factors on the same night, you know, and stay out of these spots, man go through so much effort and work and money to build the perfect mousetrap. And then you screw it up by going in there before everything's lined up and you've stacked the deck in your favor. You know, I tell guys all the time, the toughest part of hunting big deer normally is not hunting them until everything's right. Don't go in there and screw it up. You know, let everybody else screw their areas up, push the deer in. Don't tip these deer off before, you go in because every time you go into this area and you don't kill him, the game gets tougher and tougher and tougher because he's going to end up picking up on something. He's going to catch you, you know, heading back to your truck after dark, you know, catch, you know, a glimpse of your flashlight, catch some scent you leave behind, hear you walking out. I mean, you know, it just, the game just gets tougher every time that you go in and don't get it done. And I'm not trying to, you know, convince guys not to hunt just stay out of your best area until you know that you got the deck stacked in your favor because no, who's going to argue with the fact that the best time to hunt a spot is the first time you go in yeah so do everything you can to make that spot as good as you can know what you need you know andre put it perfectly you know you go in and surgically remove them from the face of the earth one time you know you don't go in you know, five or six times for a heart surgery, you go in and you get it done the first time. And that's the way you got to look at it. So guys, we're going to cut this one off right now. And then we're going to come back for episode two with Adam Hayes. And that's going to be all about the moon. And and what I'm going to do is I'm going to be the devil's advocate. Uh, Adam and I talked about this and I'm going to ask all the questions. So guys, that's uh, my cage fighting. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. We're going to have to get Dana, Dana White to referee this bad boy. So guys, uh, that'll be our next one. We're just going to go quiet here for a second and then get going again. <laughs>